Hello and welcome to The Guest Cast, the podcast where we explore guest stories from real people and look at how even the briefest interaction with hospitality while travelling can have a profound effect on a guest's whole life. This podcast is brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. As guest happiness fanatics, we want to dig into real-life guest experiences and learn about what really makes guests happy and what doesn't, hopefully picking up some great tips for vacation rental professionals along the way. So join us each fortnight as your hosts Andy and Tyan chat to guests from around the globe about their travel experiences. Introducing said hosts. Hi, my name's Andy. I'm the CEO here at Touchday. We started Touchday to improve guest experiences. So having a podcast in which we get to hear from real guests is something I'm personally very excited about. Hi friends, I'm Tyan Marsink Hammond and I am a vacation rental industry leader, educator, longtime host, owner, property manager, and investor, as well as the community ambassador for Touchday Digital Guidebooks. So pack your bags and get ready for this week's guest. Welcome to our next podcast episode. And we've got a slightly different take on the podcast this week because we are sticking to our theme of having guests on the podcast, as in travelers. But we're making this one about the traveler traveling with young children. And the guest in question today is a lady called Karen Bedeau. And Karen has a website called Mini Travelers. And has a lot of experience in terms of running that, but also in terms of being a mother of young kids in what it's like to travel with those young kids. So Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's nice to uh, it's nice to be talking travel again after a uh, couple of years where it's not been, uh, <laughs> or it's felt not as uh, popular to do. I know there is always that weird moment where you talk about travel and things getting back to normal but then you're always mindful that there are other places particularly our customers in Australia who are in this permanent state of lockdown not lockdown lockdown no it's really hard to to manage so yeah I do do always have I'm glad you said that because I do always have that kind of mind on what it's like not to be in that that luxury position Um, anyway yeah so so lovely to have you on the on the podcast Um, rather than me ramble on anymore why don't you give us a bit of a feel for you as a person and your travel experiences and some of the things that you'd like to talk about? Sure. So I now have three girls who are, I've got twins who are nine, nearly 10, and also a slightly older um, little girl who's actually only 13 months older than them. And um, she's 10, nearly 11. And we've been traveling with all three of them since they were tiny babies. Um, Matt and I loved traveling before we had them. We trekked to um, the Annapurna mountain range on our honeymoon in Nepal. Uh, We did um, quite a lot of Africa before, um, separately and together. And um, and so when we had the the babies, um, we wanted to get back to traveling as soon as we could. And we kind of spend all of our all of our money really on travel and um, and just sort of wanted to keep going. So um, it was slightly complicated when we first had uh, three under 13 months. Um, it's not very easy to fly with three <laughs> under 13 months. And we- can, can, I, can I just, can I just say at that point, three under 13 months on an aeroplane? On an aeroplane with the grandparents. <laughs> okay, a small cheat, but nonetheless still insane. <laughs> 
because I know when I went from two kids to three kids, it was the worst. Everybody said, oh, the toughest is one to two. No, no, no. Two to three. You are out of hands as a parent and you're out of parents when you're together. It is going, you went from one to three. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, it was insane, really. Um, but but actually you get used to not having enough hands and not being able to do all those things for them quite quickly, to be honest. So as a friend of mine said to me the other day, oh, I still had to carry my little one when they were four and we'd be walking around a forest or something. I was like, oh, there was never any carrying in our house. <laughs> it was either you were in the pushchair or you walked forever because you couldn't pick one up because you then couldn't physically pick the other two up so it was just you know something that you got on with so yeah so we traveled with them from quite young and um, but it was the you know we did go away with the grandparents we went away to places in the UK and the first time we wanted to go on a proper holiday um, as a family of five um, we were looking about where we wanted to travel to and we decided to go to Greece and we actually found um, a recommendation of a place that we wanted to go to on somebody's travel blog. And I think back in 2013, it was, our travel blogs were few and far between actually. And, and I didn't really know what one was or what it even was about. And I hadn't really realized that's what I was reading. I'd just found a review of a nice place. And um, we ended up going to sort of sister place to the, to the review I'd found. Loved it was perfect it was a few little villas around a pool with a really tiny kids club and gave me like three hours every morning to just breathe and um and actually but really tiny because you know I didn't they I knew that they wouldn't go to something big and fancy um and then and I wrote up the review of this place and I was going to send it to the people who had recommended it to us and in the end I just really enjoyed it and thought I'm going to try and write that travel blog. So that's how many travellers was born. It was born in June 2014 in the end. And um, it was first article written about the place we were travelling uh, whilst we were in Greece. So um, set up the website and started reviewing all those things that were important to me and my family when travelling with three tinies. So um, that was many travellers and that's how it started. Um, But quite quickly after that, we decided that we wanted to do not only some uh, European travel uh, from the UK, but we also wanted to try and travel back to Africa, where I think both myself and my husband's heart is. And I'd like to say now that the kid's heart is there too. So so, so you you, you had in mind that you would take them to Africa and you're looking back at it now and saying, well, now their heart is in Africa. But back then, the idea of taking three young kids anywhere like we just said on a plane but but to Africa I mean, did, did you did you just go straight in for that or did you did you kind of build up to it did you acclimatize yourself with trips somewhere else first yeah no so it wasn't it wasn't as straightforward as that and actually I, I don't think certainly when I had three under 30 months I thought to myself oh we'll be on a plane <laughs> to Africa soon and I don't think that was in my head at all <laughs> you weren't that gung-ho <laughs> no I'm not so um no so we did a couple of French trips we did some Greece trips and we then decided we would do I suppose what is the kind of traditional British thing and um and go to Disney in Florida and uh, so we planned this big trip 
which I have to say was meticulously planned by me in terms of fast passes and times and cues. My husband tells the story of the children actually hiding in bed from me one morning as I'm trying to get them up to get out of the door really early in order to miss the cues. And um, as we're running across Disneyland with the prams to see Anna and Elsa, you know, it was a little bit obsessive, I have to say. But anyway, everyone had a very nice time. (laughs) So we did this trip to Florida, which actually I think is quite difficult from the UK because your jet lag is the wrong way. And it's actually quite intense, the jet lag, when you're flying to the States and back. Um, And so we came home from um, Florida and we'd had a really great trip, but it was it was quite exhausting because they're long days and the flight is a long, it's a long flight for the children. You know, they were four and um, four and five. And um, so we came back from um, came back from Florida and it was my husband's 40th the next year. And we started talking about him going back to Rwanda and doing a rugby tour because he'd been out and we support we support this charity called Friends of Rwandan Rugby it's a tiny charity it runs on about five thousand pounds a year and um, it they, they teach kids all across Rwanda um, rugby girls and boys because uh, it's a post-genocide sport so it's actually um, no tribal allegiances at all so he wanted to go back there he'd been before and we started to look at it and we just were chatting and said I wonder if we can, I wonder if we can all go. I wonder if we can all go and do the rugby tour. So the girls would be five and six. And, and then whether we could then stay on for a week and, and explore some of Africa, some of Rwanda. And we decided that, yeah, we managed Florida and the girls had managed the flight and we'd managed the long days and we'd managed the time. And so we said, right, we're, we're going to do it. And then I started talking to people about it and everyone thought we were utterly crazy, absolutely crazy. So no, we didn't just jump straight into it, but I think from a lot of people's viewpoint, they thought we did. Okay, so I'm, I'm picturing the scene and I know what it's like. Um, I, I grew up in Africa, by the way. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so I, I can picture the scene. Um, for kids and outdoors, it's great. It's not nearly this kind of scary jungle random thing that you think of in your mind um and and the the time difference is nothing because you're going south exactly um and the the travel on the plane you'd obviously done that being there got the t-shirt we're comfy with that um so Mm -hmm. i would imagine it's a lot about the place you stay and perhaps some nervousness about what's it going to be like what's my experience going to be like how did you find well first of all how did you literally find where you were going to stay and then how did you find it when you arrived yeah, so the first week was um, slightly different, um, although we'll come on to that, but the first week was slightly different because that was on the rugby tour. So actually that was organised by the Friends of Rwandan Rugby Charity. Um, so that accommodation was found by them. But then the second week where we were going to explore on our own um, was really tricky because obviously in Africa, it doesn't really matter um, whether or not, as I'm sure you'll know, um, how many miles it is between a place and um, that's completely irrelevant um, it's it's all about how the time it takes to get from one place to the other because of the roads and 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 how straight it is or you know kind of what just the, you know the capability of of the of the area so looking at it on a map and saying oh well that only looks like 30 miles between the two places maybe maybe totally irrelevant um, and so what I really needed to do was find somebody who understood my concerns 
and I found a brilliant lady who's actually an Australian uh, who has a company in in Rwanda and um, and World Fusion Tours and she understood all of my concerns about traveling in Africa with the children and we talked a lot about the distances and the times and the accommodation and where we'd stay and she really understood um, because she had a she had a child herself she understood what I'd be worried about and what I wouldn't be worried about and the fact that actually what I'd be looking for would be somewhere that would be safe for the children to be in terms of running around and it wasn't going to necessarily need to be super luxury but equally was going to give us as a family some brilliant experiences. So Karen, the Australian woman, was she like a travel agent or how did you find her? So I googled quite a lot. I mean, to be honest, there isn't that many people running lots of, (laughs) it's not a massive tourist industry in Miranda. So I literally googled lots of different things, lots on Instagram, found different names. So no, I wouldn't say she was a travel agent, more of a um, tour operator, but in a kind of, you know, she would put together a tour. Um, we worked together slightly differently because obviously I was at that point, I was already travel blogging. And so some of the places um, I contacted and we got in touch with them and they hosted us on the way round. But Kat and I, who's the lady at World Fusion, put together the, the sort of the principles of the tour and where we would stay and how long it would take us to get to places. And she um, and, and I worked together. We had a driver provided by her and Jimmy was a driver that she knew very well. And he drove us round and, and looked after us basically in a kind of way of, not in, from a safety point of view, but just from a kind of wrap you up and kind of make sure that you felt comfortable getting to all the different places. And so that you knew where you were going. And, that was a really big thing for me, actually, in terms of um, being there with the kids as well. I mean, Matt had been to Rwanda already a few years before, and we weren't worried about the safety in terms of its, you know, as an African country. Um, his safety record is incredible. Uh, you know, worse to go to London these days, you know, definitely. So, you know, from that point of view, we were reassured. But I think just kind of being in the right place at the right time and not traveling after dark and not getting lost and you know making sure that you were up and on the road at certain times to make sure that you had enough petrol or enough whatever to get to the next place you know those things were all someone else's responsibility and um, so it was it was really good i think that's a really good point of having that connection with someone who's been there before um, where you had your husband, but then you also have Kat to help you with as far as the expectations when traveling with kids and the expectations of time. I know with, with time and miles, I have to adjust when I travel as well, because here in Missouri, it, we relate one mile equals one minute of travel yeah. time. And because of the way we were able to travel here, uh, obviously that is not the same <laughs> across the world. And so when my mom and I went to Oregon and we were, we were like, oh, 90 miles to the seaside from Portland. No, that was a four hour drive. And that kind of shocked us a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but just the fact that you were wise enough to reach out and find the tour operator to help you with your trip. And I think that's a really good point too, when we're talking to the hospitality industry is having available a go-to person, whether you call them a tour operator or a concierge 
or the vacation rental owner or host or property manager, but having that person to help guide you in an unfamiliar space um, just really increases that experience. Yeah, and I think I think the big thing about um, I think the big thing for me as well about traveling in Africa or traveling wherever, but you know, I think it's quite it, it polarizes in Africa is is the honesty of the owners and, and and what they're telling you they can provide and what they can actually provide. And uh, you know, the place we stayed the, the first week in Rwanda was, I mean, beyond awful. I mean, it was it was called the princess palace or something and it was so far from a palace it was untrue I woke up on the second night or I didn't go to sleep on the second night I was lying on this rock hard bed with the children around me sobbing thinking what have I done and how have I brought them to this place and um it was you know there was pictures on their on their website I mean it was very limited at that stage but I have a room with a television next on the wall and a and a phone at the side of the bed and 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 you'd get there and there was those things but they weren't plugged in so I mean we didn't choose it because there was a television but like you sort of thought well because there's a television and a phone you it, it, it would have be a certain standard but there was no electricity in the room so there was no way of plugging of plugging them in there was no electricity for lights um there was no running water in the bathroom um so there was a bathroom and it told you there was a bathroom but there was no water so in the morning they came and they left a warm bucket of water outside the door and you would have a bucket shower with the kids and you know deal with the toilet um we survived that week. It was fascinating. We told the children they were eating a lot of chicken kebabs. Um, they were eating the goat that had been outside of the, the restaurant on the way in. Um, there was a lot of chips eaten by the kids that week. But, you know, they, they survived that too. And um, I think by the time we got to our second week in Rwanda, my expectations of what was going to come. It was fine. Whatever we stayed in was going to be absolutely fine um, because, because it, it was going to be better. Um, but I think in terms of what I now ask and the questions I've learned from that is to kind of look behind what people are offering and try and... I think that the benefit of talking to somebody who's been and who's stayed somewhere and that you trust is, is just, you know, is so important. I love reading reviews from other travel bloggers that I know of places that I'm going to because I believe what they're going to tell me. It's, in, it's, it's interesting. Gosh, as you talk there, there's, there's 20 different things going through my head. Every time you say <laughs> something, there's another five thoughts that go through my head. Um, but I keep coming back to this idea of expectation versus reality. Um, I listened to um, the chairperson of Hayes Travel on the radio recently. Hayes Travel, for those of you who don't know, is a, a large travel agency, like the typical kind of walk into a shop kind of travel agent. And she said that, that they ask all of their individual travel offices to monitor the number of new people versus returning people. And they've said that they used to get about 10, 15% returning people. Now into their stores, they're getting 50% of new people. Um, and it, it talks a bit to people wanting a bit more certainty 
Um, because I think going to somebody and taking advice from someone, and you've made that point as well now, you look for reviews, you, you want to look for other travel bloggers who have recommended it, and you're, you yourself are doing that. Um, that's the first thing that came to mind. The second one was that after your first experience, which was awful versus what you had painted the reality to be in your mind, the perception, what it turned out to be. The second place you went to, you were just thinking, well, it just, I mean, I'm, my expectations are rock bottom now and it can't nearly be as bad. So um, I, I, think it, I think it's so, I mean, you said how, it, how the onus is on the traveler to try and figure that kind of stuff out. I think it's really, really important for people who are hosting, operating places to just have a sense of honesty and I know that's a little bit idealistic, but it's so important because if you don't, we were talking about this on a webinar yesterday, if you're not honest, you might get away with it the first time, but the review's gonna come, the shocking review's gonna come. And um, so I, I think it's a fascinating discussion. I could talk all, all podcast about this, but I know you wanted to talk about some other places in, in Africa that were slightly less, um, <laughs> how should I say it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you're right. I mean, then that in reality, just moving on, just in Rwanda, if you just stay with that, the, the places we stayed at after that um, weren't fancy. They weren't, you know, they, we weren't staying at super expensive places. And the thing about Africa actually is interestingly, you tend to get kind of like hostel type things that are really cheap and, and cheerful, possibly, or not even cheerful. Or you get these super expensive luxury properties that the um, going to be very so you know the, the Americans tend to stay and it's designed for the American travel market and they're incredibly expensive travel um, properties it's quite difficult in, to find the middle ground it's quite a tricky thing and that's what we did we, we wanted to find we wanted to find that middle ground but what the, the what everybody did well after that actually was just they did basic very well so it was very clean it was very, um, you know, that the people were really nice, they were really friendly, they made a good breakfast, there wasn't a fancy breakfast, but there was a nice, warm, you know, welcoming breakfast. So we had a wonderful experience. And I think overall, you know, first week aside in terms of the accommodation, we had a brilliant week in Africa with um, on this rugby tour and we went into all these schools and the kids spent loads of time with loads of kids and had an absolutely wonderful experience. And I think before we went, Matt and I did wonder a little bit about whether it was a bit of a vanity project for us, as in we wanted to do it and the children were coming along for the ride and that, you know, they kind of got a lot of other things from us. <laughs> and maybe this was the two weeks that they could do something and just, you know, we would love it. We weren't necessarily sure that they would love it, but actually they did and they really, really enjoyed it. And, um, and so we decided to go back to Africa the year after. Um, so we'd done other, we'd done other bits and pieces in Europe in between, um, but we booked another trip and we booked Malawi for our second Africa trip with the children. And again, we, um, we were lucky. We found an amazing travel operator uh, actually based um, in Devon, I think they're based. Um, they used to live out in Malawi. It's a company, Kate and Dom. They run this company called Responsible Safari Company. And um, they, again, did the same sort of thing that I was just talking about with Cass and World Fusion. They packaged this tour together with us and worked with us to create a trip that was doable and was the right length of time and was the, the right journey distances and provided things that the kids would love and want to do as well. 
because jumping forward slightly, we did an amazing trip to Tanzania the year after, which was incredibly luxurious and super swanky and, you know, kind of butler accommodation put together by um, a company who wanted to promote it. Um, but actually, and um, it's very difficult to say this because I, I think that kind of people might listen and think, really, can you really ever do too much of this? But actually, once the children had spent two or three days seeing the animals in the wild in Africa, they ticked that bit. They'd done it. Matt and I could spend two weeks doing that because it's amazing and it's incredible. But they had, you know, we had a list and they were finding all these animals and they wanted to find certain things. And they found we the Serengeti was amazing but we saw everything in a very short space of time. The Malawi trip, on the other hand, was totally different experiences. It wasn't just safari and it had been designed really, really well. We did staying on an island. We did a bit of safari. We swam in Lake Malawi. We spent time in schools with the Malawian children. The kids um, helped out on a book bus day where they read books with children we went into churches and spent a little bit too long on on experience uh, on listening to a, a full uh, Malawian um, church experience we went into a village and we, we learned how to um, make bread with families in the village and all of the different experiences were just incredible and kept us all engaged doing different things and having these amazing experiences um, and that, I think, was down to the skill of the operator who put that trip together because they, again, understood what was needed for a family to make this into a more interesting and exciting plan. And that was very necessary in the African environment, but needing a tour operator in... Florida or in Cornwall or in the more obvious places isn't necessary but it's 100% the role that the host could take on in terms of giving families a really good idea of the best things to do in that area instead of yeah, yeah I mean uh, otherwise I would just be on Google I'd be spending time on Google trying to work it all out and there is nothing better, I don't think, than turning up to a place and the, the, the host saying, if I was you, I would go for dinner at this place tonight. You will have a perfectly good meal with your kids, you know, or if you've turned up without the kids and it's like just a luxury romantic dinner, this is the place I think you should go to. And if you've already Googled and you've thought of something else, that's great. But if you haven't, it's an amazing thing to do. You just go, oh, that's great. That's absolutely wonderful. That's what I'm going to do. And if they say, oh, it's raining tomorrow, so you might not be able to do the walk that you've planned. How about going to this museum or this thing? It it's just such a nice experience. And it shows that the host has really thought about what you might be able to do. And it's I just think it's such a, an amazing thing when you turn up and that happens. I think the curation of things able to do is so important because when you go to Disney it's overwhelming but Orlando and Disney and, and everything and the hours you can spend sifting through to figure out what exactly would fit with your family and your group and your situation um, we just did that in March at, at spring break and figuring out too how your family best travels 
or how your group best travels and setting those expectations ahead of time. Um, but with even with my guests coming to our tiny town of Marthasville, Missouri, where there is not a lot to do, except maybe they've heard one thing and they say, okay, what else can we do? It's like, well, 99.9% .9 of guests go next door to the best pizza in the county. So I'm glad it's the best pizza in the county. <laughs> but just being able to say, you know, you've got to try the best pizza in the county and good, you know, you it's bonus, it's right next door. Um, but the curation is so important, no matter if it's a destination with tons of things or a destination with a few things to help your guests focus and also be comfortable that they're going to a place with very few things to do. I think um, years ago, we went to a place in Cornwall and um, it was a really nice um, um, accommodation in St. Moore's and they had um, given to us a, a treasure trail map, uh, which is a, a small company in England. I don't know if you've heard of them, Andy. And they, no. they're, based, they're based all over, they have, they have these maps all over the UK and um, you can download them off the internet now a few years ago you just had to buy a pack but it takes you around the small area of the area that you're in and you follow the directions and you and it tells you things about where you are and what you're doing and you know and, and, and by taking you on this treasure hunt you know and you follow the clues to, to get around the town or the city that you're in you're learning something about the town as well and they're great to do with kids, but, you know, I know loads of people who've done them as adults as well. Anyway, it's not, you know, it's just more about directing you around to all the places. And the host had, had got one of these and they, it was in the accommodation and we could use it when we got there. And it was just such a nice touch, um, a really cheap and cheerful kind of way of just saying, here's something little and small to do. Um, but actually, you know, we thought about you and, and we thought you might like to do this. And I just think that's a really, you know, it's not an expensive thing that you'd have to do, but it's a nice touch. It's it actually is when, when, when I go with, with my kids to places, that's the thing that is, well, it used to be, they're a bit older now, but it always used to be the thing that excited them most. I remember we stayed in one place. It wasn't actually a, an Airbnb. It was, um, it was a little resort that had like two bedroom apartment. And each evening they would come and leave a little chocolate, you know, that old star thing on your pillow. My goodness, you'd think that you'd think they'd never ever experienced something like this. It was just the chocolate. Never mind the great pool. It was the chocolate. Um, so that's that's really. But I wanted to go back to that thing about um, the, the the treasure trail map because I, I often see see some of our customers putting a lot of information in their guidebooks, like you know, thirty restaurants to to eat at and twenty this and thirty that because they want to cover all bases. I personally think the exact opposite is more valuable, where if you know the kind of people that are coming to your place, you only really want to put the five restaurants, you know, the couple that would be great for families, the couple that might be just good for mom and dad to go out and have an evening meal. Um, and that's what I like about the treasure trail, because it's literally saying, go here, go here, go here. These are the only things that you really need to see around here to get a real sense of what it's like and to have a good time. Um, and it just takes all of that thinking away from me as the guest. Absolutely. And this is just such a lovely touch, you know, it's a really, yeah, it's a really nice, nice idea. I mean, this place was quite unusual as well, but they, they had the fancy dress rail. The kids were tiny when we went and they had a fancy dress rail. And that was just hours of fun because we went to Cornwall in the rain, you know, as most people do. And um, <laughs> we, so we had some very happy days with the, our treasure trail and our fancy dress. So. That's funny. That's funny. So everybody needs to get a um, <laughs> a, a rack of... Yeah. Dress up clothes. Exactly. <laughs> and then your toddlers are fine. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I remember I was dressing up in, in fact, my son, he wouldn't thank me. He, he no. noticed this anyway, it's way, it's way, too, way too nerdy for him. But um, love dressing up in his tutu, you know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very, very, very cool. Um, was there anything else about the, the African travels that we didn't get on to? Um, you know, I think, so I, I suppose I, I skirted over the Tanzania experience, which is silly because we had, we'd had an incredible experience in, in Tanzania. It was our third Africa trip. But um, but yeah, the, the so the, the the slight difference with our Tanzania experience was it was incredibly luxurious and it was incredibly um, well done. And the places we stayed were wonderful, but the trip wasn't very well put together. So it was um, incredibly long distances between um, properties. Um, there was some incredibly long time in the car. Um, there was not enough consideration given to. Um, how we were going to do it and how long we had to do it and what we were going to have to try and do in order to experience it so there was a lot of thought when we were there and a lot of thought about the accommodation and the style of the accommodation but ultimately the trip itself didn't work as as well and that was down really to the sort of the lack of person that we had organizing that trip on the on the other end and that um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, some you know, an amazing experience. We were very close to a male lion outside our tent, which was uh, quite exciting. And um, yeah, the uh, I asked whether or not we had just walked past it, and the uh, Maasai who took us back to our room said, uh, "Well, I am." Um, I'm not quite sure because I couldn't hear him properly over the sound of the children. So I did tell him that on the next night he could tell my children to shut up so that they um, could hear any incoming male lions. But um, yeah, literally it was it was less than 100 meters away. And um, we, we zipped ourselves up into the tent and then reassured the children that the um, lion couldn't unzip the tent. So uh, yeah, so, so three, very, three very different experiences in Africa. But um, for me, those were things around the, the people organizing the trip that kind of made those into, into what they were or what they, or what they weren't. So throughout this, this whole conversation, one of the things that I've pulled out is that each traveler has a different filter they're looking through from their different experiences they've had. And because of your different experiences in Africa, you have learned that you need to ask specific questions to verify. So through this, it reminds me that as a host or property manager, when a guest asks a question that we think might be silly or it's answered somewhere in the listing, we need to answer every single question because we don't know what filter the traveler is viewing their, this next trip through because they might've had an experience like you had in your first place in Africa, in Rwanda, and need to know, yes, there is hot water. Yes, the water runs in the bathroom. Uh, but, and so instead of getting annoyed at these questions, we need to answer them. And you know, and like on a slightly note that, and this is a very personal thing, but when I pay a certain amount of money for a room, I am always so disappointed or a co co I'm so disappointed when I turn up and there's certain things not there. Like I'm really disappointed if there's not a hairdryer. And my husband says, but you, did, you didn't check whether it was on the list. I'm like, I shouldn't have to check if it's on the list if it's this price. If you're, you're telling me it's like a luxury cottage, then it should have these things. And I... And I kind of, I, I think that, I think that actually if there isn't going to be something like that, 
and that there's a reason being taken as to why it's not there, I think it might should say that. And that's maybe a it maybe should say we don't have these things. These are things that actually people quite often say, where are they? <laughs> we don't have them. And for one reason or another, they might have decided that that's not it. But I think sometimes if you're looking for a certain as a, a certain standard of accommodation, you expect a certain that a certain things are in there, and perhaps people's lists will be different. I know that that's quite complicated. I think it's quite good to be obvious. I mean, same thing when I traveled to the UK for the first time with my husband. There was no face cloths, face oh, wash cloths. Do those. I'm like, what? This is standard over here. So we we now travel. <laughs> he he got. <laughs> <laughs> washcloths <laughs> that we travel with <laughs> well after after the first year of our first vacation rental I quit putting hangers in the closets and you would you would expect a hanger right as a guest but people would swipe them and they would break them and by the end of the summer there were zero hangers and and I was at the point where I couldn't keep up with keeping hangers in the closets. Now it's different now. Uh, we make sure there's always hangers no matter what, because we are at the price point where it is definitely expected, but really it's a dollar for a dozen. It's, it's not expensive, but it's just making sure it's there. Um, and so when you're talking to someone who's just very independent, maybe they're a very remote host, that is something that might not be there. Don't get me started on this subject because it's just, (laughs) it's fine, but it's, um, it's, it's, I always like to say it's, it comes with the nature of this industry. Well, I talk about this industry, I mean, like the independent sort of, I keep calling it Airbnb. It's not Airbnb. It's the short-term rental world, the independent accommodation world. They, 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 they sometimes don't have all the things that we expect, but it's that quirkiness. It's that sort of unusual, you know, it's, it's a fine line. Um, but like you said, it wouldn't stop you booking it, but you would like to know before you arrive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this is a slightly complicated point around COVID because I think that actually lots of places used to do this and perhaps don't at the moment, but hopefully we'll go back to, but mm-hmm. especially for the sort of cottage rentals, I, you know, I love it when you go and there's all of the stuff there that kind of the last people left after the people left before and there's the salt and the oil and the bits and the pieces that kind of you, you really don't want to buy for, for like your long weekend or your, or your week and it's just so great to have those things in the cupboard and you kind of think oh I'm making this bag ball or whatever and it's like oh I haven't got x and you open the cupboard and they're there and I think that's such a nice touch in rentals, you know, from from, a, from an owner's point of view to see that, you know, kind of that, that those things there. Mm. And, and related to that point, you don't need to tell them at the time of booking if it's a hanger that you don't stock or a hairdryer, but you need to tell them before they arrive. And our conversation just continues to go back to expectations and reality. Yeah, the whole, this is what your expectation is and you want to match reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did find out right before we started, Karen, you are an author and where can we find your books? Because I'm thinking this will be a perfect Christmas gift for my nieces who are in that eight to 11 age range. Thank you for asking. So yes, we have created a um, fictional book about uh, the first book is called The Little Museum. It's called Extraordinary Travelers uh, series. The second book, which will be available in October is all about Spain. And they are um, an adventure story for children 
and but they're set in in real life settings and you get to learn some French and about French places and um, and also about some real history and some real events that happen in in the French version obviously in France and then coming up lots of things about the Alhambra and Granada and Seville in the Spanish book. Um, they are available on Amazon uh, but they're also available on a link through my website and um, I get a slightly little bit more money if you buy them through my website. So that's uh, minitravelers.co.uk. Thank you. I think I might have to review the books before I hand them over to my nieces, though. Oh, well, that would be very yeah. good. I, I, I think it's my duty as Aunt Ty. <laughs> so, thank you. Wonderful, Karen. It's been a, been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you for, um, well, what, what's flown by. Uh, we've loved hearing your stories, especially the, um, the discussion around traveling with kids and the expectation versus reality. I think they're really, really important themes. So um, thank you for your story. Thank you for your time. And hopefully we'll see you in season three. You're very welcome. It's been very nice to be here. Thank you. Maybe you have a travel or hospitality story you'd like to share on the guest cast. If you do, head to touchday.com forward slash podcast and send us a brief outline of your story. And as always, remember to subscribe to The Guest Cast on your favorite podcast app, leave us a five-star review, and say hello on our social media, at Touchday Welcome. This podcast was brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. Learn more about how Touchday can help make your guests happier at touchday.com.